more time at the book of Ecclesiastes before we um, close this up. Um, while, you're, while you're getting your Bibles out and, and looking that up, um, I want to say two quick things. First of all, um, many of you know that we have an athletic ministry here at Grace Van. And yesterday was the football jamboree, and it was just quite a, quite a victory, I guess is the word. I don't know. Success, maybe. But um, I wanted you to know this, that we have never been satisfied with simply having a, an athletic ministry, we, an athletic program. We wanted an athletic ministry. We have hired a guy who will get introduced the next hour, which you won't get to meet him. But he's an ordained Southern Baptist guy who is um, going to be on our staff to do one thing, and that is to be the pastor of this ministry that is so large back here called Grace Athletics. Uh, his, his name is Justin McCain. His wife is Lauren. And um, I, I just wanted you to know that. It's, um, it, what's going on back there is big. It's good. Um, but it's not just to provide youth sports. It's, to, it's a ministry that we're trying to represent Christ in. So I thought you'd like to hear that. And secondly... You've heard me say, perhaps, um, this is the third time I've said it. I'm going to say it a couple more times and I'm going to quit. Um, there is a trip to Israel uh, that is being planned um, April the 8th through the 19th of next year. I have to tell you that it's full. Um, the th seats that I've got have been taken, um, and, and then some, actually. But I think I can get some more seats. I think I don't know that but if you're interested in being on a waiting list going to Israel for 11 days um, you need to let me know and, and let me give you some more details so you can catch me after the service now um, I don't know that I could have a shorter text than the one I'm about to read you but I guess I could but I'm gonna read you one verse one verse Ecclesiastes chapter 12, verse 13. It reads like this. Let us hear the conclusion of the whole matter. Fear God and keep his commandments. For this is man's all. Guys, I wanted to go back to this text that we looked at last week one more time. Um, because um, <clears throat> Solomon... Um, I, I, I don't know how else to say it, but he sets it apart from every other statement in the Scriptures. Here is the conclusion of the whole matter. Now, just that statement alone ought to give us... It, it ought to give us reason to pause. What on earth could possibly be the conclusion of the whole matter. Well, he tells you. Here's the conclusion of the whole matter, colon. Fear God and keep his commandments. 
This is a statement that is made by a man who's considered to be the wisest man that ever lived. He is writing under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, and he says, here's the conclusion of the whole matter, and he summarizes the whole matter in six words. And then, you know, guys, in, in all honesty, um, I had not seen this before. Maybe you had. But it, 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 it occurred last Sunday morning when I was preparing to preach for last Sunday. I noticed something in this verse that I had not seen before. Fear God and keep his commandments. For this is man's all. I'd never seen that before. I mean, for heaven's sakes, ladies and gentlemen, this is man's all? I mean, um, if, if I had been the one who had said something like that, then you could dismiss it and say, well, there he goes again, you know, Dr. Young, dear, dear, dear Dr. Young, um, in one of, one of his overstatements again. But I'm not the one who said this. I'm just reading it. I'm reading it as it comes from the pen of a man who's called, who's considered the wisest man that ever lived, and he is writing on the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, and he says, fearing God and keeping his commandments is man's all. Again, if he's right, and of course I believe he is, then to fail at this thing that he points out here uh, would be to undo, it would be to unravel what he calls the whole matter. All that I intend or all that I hope to be um, as a representative of Jesus Christ would come to naught. It would, it would come to shipwreck if I fail in this six-word summary. So, it's pretty dang important, don't you think? We better figure out what it is. Now, let me tell you a story. I graduated from seminary in 1975. I left seminary and I moved to Ocala, Florida, where I was charged with the responsibility of starting a church starting a church in Ocala, Florida, which is still there. Um, and this little handful of people that started the church uh, rented me my first office. My first office was uh, located on Pine Street above an ABC liquor lounge. Small little room. It had shag carpeting, and it had a window unit uh, that air-conditioned this little space. And my first desk that I ever had as a pastor um, was bought with S&H green stamps. Now, some of you don't know what those are, but if you're my age, you do know what S&H green stamps are. And my first desk was made out of compressed newsprint. Now, I know that to be so because one day we tried to move it. We picked it up by the lip and, and tore off a piece And as you looked at the side of the piece that I had torn off, 
you could see the Sunday comics in the side of the piece that we had. It was compressed newsprint. So one morning, um, and I don't know exactly which year, but it's in the late 70s, 76, 77, something like that. Um, I'm sitting at that desk in that office with the shag carpet and the alcohol wafting up into my office. And um, I'm, I'm having some time with God. I'm just having my, my daily routine time with God. And I come upon a verse. Actually, I come upon two because I was reading two. And it wasn't this one. It wasn't Ecclesiastes 12. Um, if, you, if you're going to track with me this morning, you're going to have to go some. But um, here's where I was reading. I was reading out of Psalm 33. And I read this. Psalm 33, verse 18. Behold, the eye of the Lord is on those who fear him. And um, then I read the second, the next Psalm. This is Psalm 34. And I read this, Psalm 34, 7. The angel of the Lord encamps all around those who fear him. And I thought, wait a minute, wait a minute. The eye of the Lord is on those who fear him, and the angel of the Lord encamps around all those who fear him. And I thought, wait a minute, I want that. I want the eye of the Lord to be on me, and I want the angel of the Lord to encamp around me. And, and, and by the way, I also uh, just started finding all kinds of other things that are, that are ascribed to people who fear him. And I found, uh, well, his, God's loving kindness is to those who fear him. His, uh, he has an inheritance for those who fear him. He, uh, uh, he, <coughs> pardon me, he fulfills the desires of those who fear him. And I thought, wait a minute. All this stuff that is promised to those who fear him. And I thought, well, heck, I want all that stuff. That the the eye of the Lord is upon those who fear him. And I thought, well, okay, I better figure out what this is, the fear of the Lord. And here's what I did. I got myself a concordance. Dad, come on, I meant to bring one with me. You know what a concordance is? It's one of those big old books that has all the words in the Bible and where they, where they appear and all that business. Well, anyway, I took a concordance and I looked up the word fear. The Hebrew word was yara. The, uh, the Greek word was phobos or phobia, you know. And I wrote down, and by the way, ladies and gentlemen, this is the sheet of paper that I wrote on 40 years ago. And I wrote down front and back, All of the instances where the fear of God is mentioned in the Old and New Testament. The Old Testament is written in black. The New Testament is written in red. And I set about to read and study those those passages. It took me about three days. And um, when I finished, I came up with some categories, some kind of broad headings that that I could fit some of these verses underneath. And I came up with 11 categories, and I'm not going to read you all of them, but let me just read you uh, three or four. Uh, These were just some categories that I lumped these texts into. Um, uh, The fear of God is something that God desires. The fear of God is something that God commands. The fear of God is something that God acts to produce. The fear of God um, is something that he punishes in those who don't have it. Those were just four of the categories that I was looking at, or that I was using to lump some of these these texts under. Now, there's one more category that I want to talk to you about this morning. 
of those 11 categories, I only want to talk to you about one of them. And before I tell you what it is, I want to show it to you. I want you to see it, okay? So if you've got a Bible, uh, guys, we're going to be running around a lot this morning, so you might want to lick your fingers. I want you to go to the book of Nehemiah. Nehemiah is in front of Psalms. I want you to go to Nehemiah chapter 5. Now let me tell you the quick story, or the, the, uh, the, the back story of Nehemiah so that you'll understand this. This book is post-exilic. Do you know what that means? Um, you know, Israel got in, a big, got in big trouble because of their sin. And as a result, God judged them by uh, sending the Babylonians to Israel and defeating them militarily. And Israel was dragged off into the exile, the Babylonian captivity. You ever heard that? For 70 years, um, under the Persian king Cyrus, Cyrus permitted Israel, those who wanted to, to go back to Jerusalem. And so they came back to Jerusalem, and that's what it means, post-exilic, after the exile. So this is late in her Old Testament history. Uh, she goes back to a city that hasn't been attended in 70 years, and of course, Jerusalem is a wreck. And uh, it's, a, it's just really a sad-looking sight. And Nehemiah, this guy, and I'm aware of Nehemiah, uh, hears of how badly things are going, and so he asks his boss, can I go help them? The boss says, yeah, go help them. Actually, he's working for the king of Persia at that point. And so he goes back, and he becomes the governor. The governor of this band of Jews that has now come back from Babylon to rebuild Jerusalem. All right? Got it? I'm in Nehemiah chapter 5, verse 14. Let me read you two verses. Moreover, from the time that I was appointed to be their governor in the land of Judah, from the 20th year until the 32nd year of King Artaxerxes, that is, Nehemiah was there 12 years. Now look, neither I nor my brothers ate the governor's provision. Now, as a governor, as, a, as an elected or as a, as a government official, he was um, allowed... To, to, to get, you know, some provisions of food, uh, you know, so that he could feed his family and his, and his, and his workers. And the people were to provide that, kind of like, you know, you see in our country, you know, gone wild. Um, but, but notice um, verse 15. But the former governors who were before me laid burdens on the people and took from them bread and wine Besides 40 shekels of silver, that is the tax. Now here it comes. Yes, even their servants bore rule over the people. Notice. But I did not do so. I didn't do all those bad things that those previous governors did. Why, Nehemiah? Because of the fear of God. You see that? Do you get my point? You had not quite got it yet. Okay, let's look at some more. Let's go to the book of Leviticus. Uh, that's the third book in the Bible, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus. Leviticus 19. Let's try that one on for size and see if we can illustrate it again and again. Leviticus chapter 19, verse 14, reads like this. You shall not curse the deaf, nor put a stumbling block before the blind, but... 
you shall fear your God. Verse 32, uh, you shall rise before the gray-headed and honor the presence of an old man and fear your God. How about chapter 25 of that same book? Um, Leviticus chapter 25, verse 17. Therefore, you shall not oppress one another, but you shall fear your God. Uh, Verse 36, same chapter. Um, Take no usury or interest from him, but fear your God. Verse 43 of the same chapter. You shall not rule over him with, with severity, but you shall fear your God. Do you see it yet? Do you get it? Do you see what the Bible is trying to tell you about this whole subject that, it, that Solomon calls the conclusion of the whole matter? Okay? You don't get it yet? Then let me make it really clear. The fear of God, guys, is supposed to be your view of God that deters you from sin. My understanding of who God is and what he's like is to be one that one of the results is that I avoid sin. Could I say that differently? Same thing, just said a different way. The reason, ladies and gentlemen, the reason that there is so much sin among us as the people of God is because we do not fear God. Let me show you one more. One more, I love this one. This is in 2 Chronicles. 2 Chronicles chapter 6. Now, i got to tell you the story, the, the backstory about that one, too. Um, Solomon is, you know, Israel's first king was a guy by the name of Saul. Saul was a good guy, at least in the beginning, but then he didn't, he, 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 he didn't, didn't finish well. And so Solomon and his sons are killed in a, in a, in a war with the Philistines. And then the, the, next, the next king... Uh, of Israel is David, and David was a good guy. You know, David, uh, the psalmist boy, the, the shepherd boy who wrote all the psalms, the, uh, the uh, Christ type in the Old Testament, David, uh, Christ is the son of David. Well, he was the second king. And then the third king, of course, was Solomon, his son. And Solomon is the one that wrote Ecclesiastes, and Solomon is the one that asked for wisdom above all else. And, and uh, the first thing that Solomon does after he becomes king is that he begins to rebuild, no, not rebuild, to build. It's never been built before. He begins to build the temple. He begins to build the temple. So it takes him, I don't know, 13 years to build the temple, and he's finally got it done, and he's dedicating the temple in Second Chronicles chapter 6. And, and, and Solomon is standing out in front of all of the nation of Israel and uh, their uh, elders and everybody, and he's praying um, it, it begins in verse 12 of chapter 6, and, and it, we don't have time to read this whole prayer, but if you'll go back and look at it, you will notice how sensitive Solomon is to the sins of Israel. 
And he's saying, oh God, when you, when you see us and you hear our prayer, this is verse 21, forgive. Verse 22, if anyone sins against his neighbor, uh, verse 24, and if Israel is defeated before an enemy because they have sinned against you, forgive the sin of your people. Uh, verse 26, uh, when the heavens shut up and there's no rain because they have sinned against you. Verse 27, then hear in heaven and forgive the sin of your servants. The, the whole prayer is, if, if, if Israel sins, then they pray forgive them. If they do this, then they pray forgive them. And then he comes to the end of his prayer. And he says, now Lord, um, uh, this is uh, verse 30. Then hear from your uh, heaven your dwelling place and forgive Keep reading, and give to everyone according to all his ways whose heart you know, for you alone know the hearts of the sons of men. Look at verse 31. That they may fear you. See, my point, ladies and gentlemen, is that Solomon was so concerned about the sin of God's people. He he saw so much opportunity, so much temptation for them to sin. And so he says, when they do, Lord, would you forgive them? But Lord, here's my desire. My desire is that you would give them a fear of yourself. Why? So that they wouldn't sin. So that they would avoid sin so that they would obey you. Because you see, ladies and gentlemen, the fear of God is a view that you have of God that makes you want to avoid sin. You want to see it just really stated, I mean, so succinctly? Uh, Try Proverbs chapter 8. Proverbs chapter 8. Here it is. He says it just in a couple of words. He says, the fear of the Lord is to hate evil. That's Proverbs 8 verse 13. Um, You want to see it again? It's in chapter 16 of Proverbs um, verse 6. And by the fear of the Lord, one departs from evil. Do you get it? You see, the fear of God is to be that thing which prompts in us an avoidance of sin. So, the reason that there's so much sin among us is that we do not fear God. The very thing that Solomon said is the conclusion of the whole matter. Man's all. We've ignored it. We've ignored it. Somehow, we, we thought, that's not for me. Oh, I get it, Dr. Young. <laughs> you can't trick me, buddy. I mean, I know what you're up to. I know what you've done there, Dr. Young. Uh-huh, uh-huh, I get it. What you've done is just give us a bunch of Old Testament passages. But, I, you know, I, I believe things are different in the New Testament. Really? You believe that? Well, you're wrong. Um, let me show you these three quick ones. But let me start with an Old Testament passage. 
Uh, this is in Isaiah chapter 11, if you'd like to take a look at it. Isaiah chapter 11, but listen to it because you're going to recognize what, what Isaiah is, is saying. I mean, you're going to understand this. This is Isaiah chapter 11. Beginning at verse 1, he says this. Um, there shall come forth a rod from the stem of Jesse, and a branch shall grow out of his roots. The spirit of the Lord shall rest upon him, the spirit of wisdom and understanding, the spirit of counsel and might, and he shall not judge by the sight of his eyes, nor decide by the hearing of his ears, but with righteousness he shall judge the poor and decide with equity for the meek of the earth. He shall strike the earth with a rod of his mouth. Tell me, ladies and gentlemen, who is that describing? Oh, well, Jenny, that's real clear. I mean, that, that's, that's just a, that's a prophetic statement about the upcoming Messiah. Yes, you're right. But guess what, ladies and gentlemen? I didn't read it all to you. I left out two lines. Listen to this. In description of the upcoming Messiah, the spirit of the Lord shall rest upon him, the spirit of knowledge and the fear of the Lord. His delight, the Messiah's, his delight is in the fear of the Lord. The Messiah's. But how about this? How about uh, Luke chapter 12? <clears throat> you know that passage where Jesus says, um, uh, um, don't fear the one who can just kill the body. Um, but let me tell you who you ought to fear. Jesus is speaking. This is in Luke chapter 12, um, uh, verse 5. But I will show you whom you should fear. Fear him who after he has killed has power to cast into hell. Yes, I say to you, fear him. Who's that? And then, then, if you want to see some more, in the book of Revelation, uh, chapter 14, um, there's an angel that's flying in, in the midst of heaven. Listen to this. This is um, Revelation chapter 14, verse 6. Then I saw another angel flying in the midst of heaven, having the everlasting gospel to preach to those who dwell on earth. Do you want to hear from the angel the everlasting gospel? Well, here's what he says. Fear God and give glory to him. The everlasting gospel. Fear God and give glory to him. You know, guys, last week, I, um, I brought with me a news article came, that came from the Miami Herald newspaper you may recall and I I read you about five pastors in Florida who have resigned in disgrace because they have committed adultery something that I could do tomorrow ladies and gentlemen I hope you understand I know that I have potential to do that and worse but I haven't yet but five pastors who resigned in disgrace because of adultery and I asked you last week how does this happen? And now you know. Or at least you know part of it. There is no fear of God before their eyes. How about yours? Gang, I am not trying to win an argument here. I am not trying to score theological points. 
I'm trying to shepherd a group of sheep, including myself, who are prone to wander. Aren't we? I'm I'm trying to prevent the self-inflicted wounds of choosing to sin. I'm trying to explain to you why Solomon would say this is man's all. I'm trying to steer you around some of those landmines that will blow you to smithereens. And I'm saying that at the center of your whole understanding of who God is and what he's done for us in Christ must be a healthy, spiritual, rich, gospel fear of the living God. I want to close by reading you something. You know, I know you don't like to be read to, but this is pretty good, I, I think. I mean, I hope you will think so too. Um, this is from John Piper. It, it appears in one of his books entitled The Pleasures of God. Um, he is commenting on a verse out of Psalm 147. Let me read you that. Here's Psalm 147, 11. But the Lord takes pleasure in those who fear him, in those who hope in his steadfast love. That's the verse that he's commenting on. Can I read to you again? Uh, but the Lord takes pleasure in those who fear him, in those who hope in his steadfast love. Now, this is what he says. I'm not going to read you all of it, but try to listen to this, because this is so much better than anything Jimmy Young has said. He starts this way. He says, does it strike you as strange that we should be encouraged to fear and hope at the same time and in the same person? Do you hope in the one you fear and fear the one you hope in? It's usually the other way around. If we fear a person, we hope that someone else will come and help us. But here, in this text, we are supposed to fear the one we hope in and hope in the one we fear in. What does that mean? And then he tells a story. And in my humble opinion, ladies and gentlemen, this is, this is, <laughs> this is one of the best illustrations I've heard of this subject. Listen, suppose you were exploring an unknown glacier in the north of Greenland in the dead of winter. You get it? Winter, Greenland, north of glacier, you know. That was my commentary. <laughs> um, just as you reach a sheer cliff with a spectacular view of miles and miles of jagged ice and mountains of snow and ter- a terrible storm breaks in. The wind is so strong that the fear rises in your heart that it may blow you over the cliff. But in the midst of the storm, you discover, you discover a cleft in the ice where you can hide. Here, you feel secure. But even though secure, 
The awesome might of the storm rages on and you watch it with a kind of trembling pleasure as it surges out across the distant glaciers. At first, there was the fear that this terrible storm and awesome terrain might claim your life. But then, you found a refuge and gained the hope that you would be safe. Listen. But not everything in the feeling called fear vanished from your heart. Only the life-threatening part. There remained the trembling, the awe, the wonder, the feeling that you would never want to tangle with such a storm or be the adversary of such a power. The fear of God is what is left of the storm when you have a safe place to watch right in the middle of it. Guys, do you get that? Big storm, cleft in the ice, sneak in, hide. But as you watch this thing, not everything of fear vanishes from your heart, only the life-threatening part. And as you watch this display of power, you think, man, I wouldn't want to tangle with that. I'll be walking awfully carefully in front of the one who can produce that kind of storm. Oh, my brother and sister in Christ. Do you know that there's a cleft in the ice for us? Yes. There's a place of safety for the for the sin-sick soul. It's hiding safely under the arm of Christ and his finished work. Are you resting in what Jesus Christ has accomplished for you? Then I can tell you this. The storm will not consume you. But if you understand who that God is, the fear is still in there. The only thing that's gone is the life-threatening part. No, I will not be condemned for my sin. No, I am eternally safe because of Jesus Christ. But... There is still within me a fear that tells me, don't you mess with this God. Don't you toy with sin. Don't you dabble in disobedience. Because none of us Including me, none of us, none of us get away with our sin. My friend, 
your best friend is obedience. And your greatest enemy is disobedience. Now, one last thing. There is um, one last verse. It comes from Psalm 36, 1. And it says this. Transgression speaks to the wicked deep in his heart. There is no fear of God before his eyes. That is a text, ladies and gentlemen, that is describing the wicked. And it is saying that the chief characteristic of the wicked is that they have no fear of God before their eyes. The root of all their evil is because they do not fear this God. Paul says the same thing, by the way, or much the same thing in Romans 1. My friend, this morning, if you are not a Christian, let me tell you two things. First of all, your chief characteristic is that you don't fear this God. Secondly, the reason that you have, are chasing this life of wickedness is because you don't fear God. And ladies and gentlemen, I say to you with a deep, heartfelt desire to see you come to Christ. What a dreadful thing it is to fall into the hands of this God without a Savior. Come to Christ. Come to Christ this morning. Heavenly Father, I, I do pray that your people will think through all over again how they view you and what, what um, how they understand what you love and what you hate and what you promised. Oh God, we as Christians, we are grateful for the cleft in the ice into which we have run to hide from the storm. That place of safety carved out for us by Christ and him crucified. So we do not ever again have to fear condemnation or judgment. But Father, we would not toy with you would you, um, would you remind your people that the fear of God is that thing that is supposed to make us hate evil and love obedience? Would you manufacture that in the hearts of each of your people here this morning? And then, Father, for those who have come this morning without a relationship with Christ, would you remind them that there is a storm with such eternal consumptive power that will ultimately consume all those who are outside of Christ. And the only way to escape it is to step under the shadow of his cross. Would you do that, Father? Because if you don't, we certainly can't produce that. Have mercy, O oh God on each of us. We ask it in Jesus' name.